Because you are God, from everlasting to everlasting, only thou art God. We thank you, Father, for what you wrought in our midst on Sunday. Thank you for a call to deeper relationship with you. Thank you because you've been challenged. And Lord, we are determined to get deeper, to seek to know you more, to, 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 to seek intimacy, oh God, in our relationship with you. Sweet Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you please come and help us as we search for God. May he not hide his face from us. Lord, teach us how to get closer. We don't want to do it in any preconceived idea or method. But Lord, that which would please you is what we seek in the name of Jesus. This evening we ask, O oh God, that you take us even deeper than you did on Sunday. But more than anything else, we will leave this place determined, O oh God, to walk the talk in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you again. Please come and help us. In Jesus' name, and the saint of God said, Amen. Amen. Wherever you are in the houses, whatever you are in your car, can you say louder, Amen. I want to welcome you all to the uh, midweek service. We are still on our deeper and deeper walk with God. We started on Sunday and God was faithful. As usual, he's been so kind to us. So what I would do, just in case we're not in church on Sunday, I will try and do a quick recap and then we'll take it from there for tonight's message. We, we started on Sunday by saying, by telling us that certain things that have happened in the last three or so years in the world and particularly as it affects the Nigerian nation and particularly the Christendom, that they were meant for a purpose. God does nothing without an intent, without a purpose. We summarize that whatever seemed like an attack on the church in the past three or so years, particularly, or rather, ending with the pandemic, which started early this year, they were all either divinely orchestrated by God or God permitted them for a purpose. We tried to identify the purpose as one being God wanted his people back to himself. Some of us pastors have become contractors, prayer contractors, people, we, be, we became little Jesuses through whom no one can approach God except through us. But God wanted a direct relationship between his children and himself. And so there was a shaking in the world which affected the church. And that caused people to go back to their various homes and build a personal relationship with God and seek to grow deeper and deeper in their walk with God. 
So we see a lot of people, Christians, we see how we have, by the grace of God, developed in our Christian walk with Him, one-on-one. We now, we now pray on our own, consistently, fervently. We now study the Word of God. We now seek to please God without the need of having to go through a third party. And I want to bless God where He has brought us today. We, 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 we then said that once God has reestablished that personal relationship with us, one on one, He wants us to now go deeper in our relationship with Him. And one, the first way He says we should begin to do that is by gradually returning to fellowship one with another in the body of Christ. That is, going back to church for fellowship. We said, yes, during the pandemic, we couldn't come together as one body, but since God has healed our land, and is still healing our land, the time has come for us not to forsake the assembling what together of one another. We looked at Hebrews 10.25, we looked at 1 John 1.3. And so, we began, as we ended that service on Sunday, we began to consider the importance of fellowship in cultivating a deeper walk with God. And the last thing we said was that it is the enemy's trick to ensure that we don't fellowship, that we're not bonded in fellowship. The enemy knows that when you come together as brethren, it's difficult to break you and I. So he tries to isolate us. We watched a movie, or sorry, a video clip of how a predator would take down his prey, especially when is in or they are in a herd, a community of animals. And we saw how if they came together, they can defeat the enemy no matter how powerful he is. So we're going to go to number two very, very quickly. The importance of fellowship in helping us into a deeper relationship with God. I believe that the number two point I want to make to us tonight is a fellowship helps to encourage discouraged brethren. I'm sure all of us here, before the pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, situations will arise that will discourage you. Things will arise that you would think the whole of hell has been let loose on you. And I don't know whether you've been there before, but I have. I have been. When you just wonder, nothing seems to be working. Or rather, they're working against you. And you wonder, where is God in all of this? That's not the time for you to stay away from fellowship. Because the devil will simply make a minced meat of you. It's a time to get into fellowship with brethren and share your, share your heart, the burdens of your heart with them and they can encourage you. First Samuel chapter 30 
First Samuel chapter 30 from verse number 3, David had returned to Ziglag and he discovered that the entire village has been ransacked and everybody has been taken captive, including his wives and children. The Bible says he began to weep as a king. He wept until he had no more power to weep. But then verse 6 of that scripture says, where he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Sometimes God can speak a word to your heart directly. But trust me, the easiest way God can speak to get through to even the youngest Christian is speaking through another brother. You just see the countenance, what he or she is going through. And you say to him or her, my brother, my sister, I think you are struggling or you are dealing with an issue. Can I help you? Can we talk about it? And you can encourage someone. Recently, just this week actually, the, the week that, or la, it will be last week, um, my wife got a message for someone, very, very powerful message, personal to this person. And she wrote it down. So, we're now talking to this person and I remember that she had mentioned to me that she got this word. So I said, you need to relay the message that God gave you to this person. So she gave the word and was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. This is, I need, I need to hear this, I need to hear this. And you could see a burden lifted because we were in fellowship and this word came and God was speaking to specific need or challenges that our dear friend has been going through. What a relief. In the last few years, we've been hearing cases of suicide in in Lagos. And some of these guys are professionals. I know of at least one who was a doctor. And he just went on the Milan Bridge and took a dive. And of course, he didn't make it. Do you know what has happened? Happened. The devil has been playing bad on their heart, on their minds. And because they have not been, if you like, walking closely with God, and they have not been in fellowship with brethren who will probably see his countenance drop and say, what is wrong with you, my brother? The devil pushed him. He drove his car, got onto the family and packed it, and took a dive unto death. So I want to challenge you. Get back into fellowship as best and as quickly as you can. Try and find someone that you can confide in. That you can speak to. About whatever challenges you are going through. Then compare scriptures with scriptures. Pray one for another. Pray with one another. That's how we can get deeper. And you know, guess what? When you go, when you pass through one temptation... You are equipped to face even a higher one. And when the, ne- the enemy comes the next time and tries to play on your mind, you say, Mechelen, shut up. I've been through this before. God helped me to get over it. But that simply means you must be in tune with God. You must protect, you must guard jealously your relationship with God. I did mention something as I was closing on Sunday. 
which is the third point, and I want to break it down for you now. I said even if somebody thought he or she was strong enough that he didn't need fellowship, if you must build a relationship with God, a deeper walk with God, please, if you are mature enough, can you help someone who is not as mature as you are by getting to fellowship and encouraging him? Let me give you a few scriptures about God's call for us to help those of us who are not as strong as the others. First Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 14. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and it says, be patient toward all men. I don't need to be in church. I've already grown, Mr. Grower. Please, somebody will need your experience. Somebody will need your maturity in the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 12. Hebrews 12 and verse number 12. He said, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down. And, of course, the feeble knees. God wants to come and be a support to that younger and probably weaker brother or sister in the faith. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2. Galatians 6, 2. It says, let us bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. So when you come to church, something probably is harder for someone to, to digest or understand, but because you are matured, you can of course help that person to understand what God is saying. And you can read when you get home because of time, Romans chapter 15 and the first verse. And I don't have all the time, so read this Romans 15 and verse number 1. And the last one I will mention on that point is that when God has delivered us as we believe by faith he has done from all of these challenges we've had in the church and in the nation at large. He's expecting us now to get into serious intimacy with him. It's not just about fellowshipping by coming to church and sharing fellowship, which is wonderful, but God wants you one-on-one. That's why he took you out of the church this past eight months. And then he taught you how to do that, but he wants you now to go deeper into that. In other words, beyond fellowship in church, beyond fellowshipping among yourself, whether in home house fellowships, God wants you to develop a personal relationship, an agenda, uh, uh, if you like a timetable. I don't want to get legalistic here, but on a regular basis, when you will know that this is Quiet time. I'm not talking about 15 minutes quiet time. That's fine if you are doing it, but God is asking you when he talks of deeper. It simply means deeper. Deeper than 15 minutes. Deeper than 10 minutes. By the way, I'm sure you remember, I think some 5 or 6 or maybe 7 years ago, on this altar, I was privileged to share a word with you. Perhaps you need to go and get that message. Uh, uh, the purpose of his call. That was what I thought I titled it. The purpose of his call. And the whole message would just fit in here. 
And what was it that we said? That God is looking for a friend. That God is always looking for a friend. Someone we will be close to. Someone who seeks to walk deeper with God. So that he can become his friend. And I remember in that message, we trace the history from Noah to all the patriarchs of old unto Moses. And each time someone God loved because of intimacy, each time he passed, God looked for someone to substitute him because God is a relational God. It's a relationship God. God wants to have a relationship with us one on one. If you remember, Abraham was a friend of God. Moses was. If you remember, uh, I think in Genesis chapter number 5, we dealt extensively with uh, uh, Enoch. Genesis 5, please go and get that here because obviously I can't repeat it here. But Enoch was the seventh in his generation. The book, the chapter opens with, these are the books of the generations of Adam. And it began A, B, C, D, E, F. In verse 23, the Bible said, when it came to the turn of Enoch, it said, Enoch walked with God. That's a deep relationship. He said, and Enoch walked with God, and it was not because God had translated him. But Hebrews chapter 11, verses 4 and 5 says, but he had this testimony that before he was translated, he pleased God. If you want to walk deeper with God, you must seek to be a God pleaser. At any point in time, you must ask yourself, what I'm about, what I'm about to do? Will he be pleasing in his sight? If I did this, will God be pleased with me? And if you cannot answer that question a hundred percent, run away from it. You can't walk deeper with God except you speak the same language. Not just in your speeches, but in your actions. The prophet Amos said in Amos chapter three and verse number three, Amos three three, he says, can two walk together except to be agreed? So if you want to please God, you must do so by doing the things that God will be pleased with. Intimacy. Isaiah 43, in verse 21. Isaiah 43. That's the whole essence of man. Is that these people have I formed for myself that they may show forth my praise. Will God be pleased with you when he sees you behind closed doors? The things that you and I do, will he be pleased? That is the question. So it's all about, when we talk about getting deeper and deeper, it's about pleasing God. It's about getting intimate, intimate with God. So we can fulfill the purpose for which he created us. You remember in, I think it was Mark, Chapter number 3, verses 13 to 15. Mark 3, 13 to 15. The Bible says, And he went up to a high mountain, and he called unto him those whom he would. And verse 14, he says, And he appointed twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. And verse 15 says, And that he might send them forth to go and heal disease, and set the captives free. The emphasis is on verse chapter 14. It says, He called unto him those whom we would, that they should, and I love that, should 
doesn't give room for probability. It doesn't give room for an option as if I wanted to. Because the next sentence then says that he might. So ultimately God wants you to be with him. He wants me to be with him. That's all, that's why he, he, he sent all of this or allowed this pandemic stuff to happen. So you can be with him. And we have testified we have been with him. But now that he's healed us, we do not want to go back to where we were before the old norm. Where we depended on somebody to pray to him for us. Where we intended to enroll intercessors with money and say, Baba, pray for us. Mama, pray for us. No! God wants you to be able to stand on your own. One of these days, I will hope that I will have the privilege to come and share with you on a Sunday something that is very, very dear to my heart about, about the purpose of encountering God. You know, some people, when you, when you, in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, from, from the days of Noah, until Samuel, until everybody, every time they encountered God, they made a pillar. They always made an altar. And they say, we want to know where God met with us. And I, I, I hope I can come back and share about that. But if you go to Genesis 28, that was the occasion when Jacob was sent out of the house by Isaac, his father. And the first night out there, the Bible says he was tired, so he laid his head upon, he found some stones, and he slept using the stone as a pillow. <laughs> he slept so soundly that he dreamt. <laughs> Have you ever heard, even I can sleep with some hard pillows. But he slept on a pillow made of stones. Oh my God. And you know what? And I don't want to preach that message here, but I want to whet your appetite so you can call me back fairly quickly. Do you understand what happened? When you get back home, please read that scripture. Genesis 28. The Bible said, he kept on, Jacob kept on talking about this place, about this place. God said, God look at God introduced himself. Says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I want to be your God. I'm a relationship God. I'm not a God of places. I'm a God of persons. Hallelujah. God wants to be your friend. God wants to be close. He wants you to walk deeper and closer. So he can say to you, Wait a minute, Genesis 18 from verse 17. He says, shall I hide what I'm about to do from my friend Abraham? That's a deep, that's a result of a deep relationship with God. God said, I don't want to do anything except I told you. <laughs> what a relationship. Amos chapter 3 verse number 7. Surely, Amos 3 7. Surely the God, the Lord God doeth nothing except he revealeth it first to his servant the prophet. It's not the prophet alone, it's just because he's a friend of God. It's not every prophet who knows God's mind. <laughs> when pastor was saying to you that the youth, I see something about them, let us pray for them. I didn't receive that, but he did. And I thank God for that. But it takes some deeper walking with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, I want you to know that the whole essence of your creation, of my creation... Is such that we will have a deeper relationship with God. Let me speak about that for the next 15 minutes before I take my seat. If you are married, 
you will appreciate the point I'm going to make more. Romance in a relationship, it requires a lot of effort. Pastor will testify to that. Romancing with your, with your spouse, male or female, and love would take a lot of effort. And number two, it's always intentional. You don't stumble on it. <laughs> For you to keep the fire of your love burning, you got to have intention and attention constantly. Two things. You have to have intention to do it. You have to give it the attention it takes. And not once in a week, not once in two weeks, but every day, regularly. Constancy matters a lot. That's as far as human love is concerned, but trust me, it's exactly the same thing in spiritual realm. If you want to have a deeper relationship with God, I want to submit to you this evening, brethren, that you have to be intentional about it. And I'll try and break it down. How many of you have done long drive fast before? Okay, if you have done, you will appreciate the point I'm going to make. If you are doing, say, 14 day drive fast, or 30 or whatever, not, not, if you are doing nothing less than 7 dry fast, 7 day drive fast, because you've been eating regularly, the body is going to fight you the first two days. The most you've got days are the first two days when you're doing dry fast. After two days, the body adjusts. <laughs> and you can go on for as long as your anatomy can permit you after that. Because the body's adjusted. But how many of you know that when you break, whenever that is, you cannot afford to eat all that you have missed during the... I mean, if you wanted to eat at the rate and in the way that the body is telling you because you have missed out for 3 or 7 or 21 days, you are going to die. It is the reason we have, they call it three square meals. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. So you eat in the morning and the evening. I've said that three square meals is just a grammatical or idiomatic expression. In the Bible, you don't see anybody eating three times, it's two times. <laughs> First Kings 17, the Bible says, and the rabbinus brought, brought the man of God bread in the morning and meat in the evening. Twice. Not three times. But forget about whatever it is, two or three times. Let us say it's two or three. It doesn't matter for these purposes. Now, do you understand why you have to eat intermittently in the morning, afternoon, and evening? If you say you don't want to eat in the morning and the evening and you want to put everything together and eat in the evening, what does it do to your body? Or, make it worse, you don't want to eat for for five days, you want to eat on the sixth day, and you want to eat everything together, you have no peace. It's the same thing with fellowship. Intentionally, you must eat breakfast. Intentionally, you must have lunch. And intentionally, you must have dinner. For the body to grow properly. When you are fasting, it's understandable. But you don't fast 365 days a, a, a year. So, what am I saying? The way your body systematically needs 
Food, to digest it, is the way relationships are nourished. You cannot love your wife, your husband for one week and you don't love him or her for another two months. It doesn't work like that. With God, it's exactly the same. You cannot say, I prayed for six hours. Pastor, I was tonguing from 12 midnight to 6 a.m. God and I are like this. But the next time you're going to do it is probably in February. That's no relationship. That's not a relationship. God would rather you do 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening, 30 minutes in the afternoon, and you do it on a regular basis. That's what brings intimacy. Not once in a week, not once in a month. So, romance with God must be with intent, and you must constantly pay attention to it. Do you know that things, even good things, become routine? You take God for granted. Sunday morning, we go to church. We come back. Wednesday, we go to church. And it, it becomes so routine that it's lost its favor to us. You don't understand what it means to walk deeper. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter number 2? In Luke chapter number 2, from verse, I think, 42. When Jesus was about 12 years of age, and the Bible said they went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. As they did every year. It became a custom. It became a routine. On this particular occasion, they had gone. They finished whatever it was they were doing. They were returning back home. And the Bible said they supposed that the child Jesus had gone ahead with his cousins. And three days journey, when they got home, they were looking for him. They couldn't find him. And the Bible says they went back and they found him where? They found him at the temple. Now, do you know, do you know what this is teaching us in terms of walking deeper with God? They've taken that custom for granted. Jesus was the whole idea of the feast that they go for every year. Yet they left him behind and they went. That's what routine does. That's what religion does. How many of us have forgotten Jesus in the church? We come on Sunday, as soon as we go, we leave him in the church. Which simply means, it's not the personality as much as what he stands for. When we are coming to church, we are pious. Because Jesus is in the house. The moment we leave church, we leave Jesus behind for the next three days. We do all we want. How can you be deeper? How can you get deeper with God when you do not even understand that even the good things could be, could turn to be a routine if you don't uh, guard your heart very, very jealously. I want to challenge us tonight that the call is for us not to drift away from active pursuit of God. We must not drift, drift away from the active pursuit of God. We must seek to pursue God more deeply, consciously. I'm sure you remember I think I gave the example and I said I would speak about it this evening. That was what we were speaking on Sunday. 
Moses started in our text in Exodus 33. From verse number 9. Moses started by saying, show me the way. When God sent him on the message, he said, show me the way. But when he got to a level, the Bible said he graduated because he had gone deeper. He said, I'm no longer going to be satisfied by you showing me the way. Show me your glory. It wasn't as if God didn't grant his prayer. God did. Psalm 103 verse 7. Psalm 103 verse 7. The Bible says, the Lord showed Moses his way, his ways, and the children of Israel, his deeds. So God granted his first prayer, but he was never going to be satisfied. He wanted more. More, more about Jesus will I seek. That should be our song. We saw Paul, the writer of thoughts of the New Testament. He wrote all of the books. Two thoughts of it in the New Testament. From the, from the, from the, from Romans all the way to 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, 1st Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians, Philippians, Colossians, all of those books he wrote it. And as I said to you on Sunday, by the time he was writing the book, the letter, his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3 of, uh, Philippians chapter 3, he was already 25 years old as a Christian. <laughs> He's founded so many churches. God has used him to do so many things. But he still had this yearning in verse 10 of Philippians 3. He says that I may know him. And every time I get to that point, I always sit back and ask myself, Lord, if I can just know what Paul knew, I'll be happy. But Paul says I'm not happy. I need to know more. I need to get deeper with you. I honestly, I, I ask myself, you see, let's try and make scripture come real or life to us. Why would Paul be praying that prayer? That I may know him. He didn't even say that I may know him more. <laughs> you know that what? I don't think I know you yet. Some of us, when we know, when we can recite Psalm 23, oh my God, we have become pastors. Nobody can talk to me anymore. Shut up. We are talking of knowing God. It's not about theology knowledge. We are talking of a relationship. When you can say for a certainty, this is what God would have me do in this situation. Not only that, I'm not ready to sacrifice anything else. But I must do what God will have me do. Very inconvenient. Very hard. But I don't want to offend my friend God, I don't want to, you, you know how it is that certain things, when your friend, friendship is on the line, you say, ah, may the Lord help us. I say, may the Lord help us. Number two, we must fight continuously what I call spiritual complacency. We must fight it. Let me try to explain to you what that is. You know, you just get tired. You know, I never, throughout this year, I haven't missed service. I'm there Sunday. I'm there Wednesday. If I missed one day, it doesn't make any difference. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. What you're doing is you're drifting into complacency. Or, better still, I used to do one hour, one and a half hours of prayer every day. But you know, 
I don't think I can act. I'm tired today. I'm tired tomorrow. You're, you're drifting into complacency. I shared something with you years ago on this altar. I believe I did. About some traders that were traveling in the desert. They were Christian traders. And you know in desert, you can, you can see as far as your eyes can take you. So they went to buy wares. He, lots of money. It cost them. It was a seven day journey by foot. In those days, there were no vehicles or, and they couldn't afford horses or whatever it is or camels. So, and in the desert, it was notorious that armed robbers were there, always trying to dispossess people of their belongings. They knew that, but they were Christians, so they had faith. So the first day they left, heading back home, when they got to a place, they got tired, carrying loads of stuff on their heads. They put it down, joined hands together, and prayed. And God shielded them. They did that for six days. The last day before they got home, they were dog tired. Say to yourself, say dog tired. Does that sound familiar sometimes? Ah, they said, ah, we are tired today. We can't pray. We will continue to join. When we get home tomorrow, we will continue to pray. As they slept, thieves came. And one thing that thrilled the thieves was that we've been on this road. We've been following you every day. And just as you got to the place where you rested, we couldn't find you. The devil is a bad devil. He never gives up. So you can't afford to be complacent. So, they woke them up and said, what have you been doing these past six days? How come it that we follow you up until the time you pitched your tabernacle and we don't see you anymore? What did you, or what have you been doing that's blinded us? So they started looking at each other and said, what was it that we were doing? What was it? Oh, said, oh, we've been praying every night before we slept. But last night, we were tired. Say to your neighbor, we were tired. And that was it. God might understand, but the devil surely doesn't. Don't get complacent. If it's a Bible study, don't let anything eat into it. Choose the time and be, discipl- be disciplined with it and tell people sorry. Don't give excuses. The reason I couldn't do it was because somebody visited. was because I had to go to. There's nothing that you have to do that should take the place of God in your life. If you don't do those things, we will likely just drift into spiritual complacency. May God not let that happen in the name of Jesus. Obviously, my time is almost up. I will just deal with one thing. I have five of my notes. I can't deal with that today. What I consider to be the five things that can help you to remain fervent and dig deeper into your relationship with God. I'll deal with this only one and then we'll continue whenever we have the privilege 
in the future. We can do it under some other headings. That is number one. There must be what I call a holy dissatisfaction with where you are at right now. Holy dissatisfaction with where you are, you are at right now. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. Pastor, you know one of the things that, and I believe I shared this in this church years ago, when I taught on, I think something about the race that is set before us. I hope it's in this church that I preached it, the race that is set before us in Romans 12, 1. I remember I said in that message that the race, the Christian race, is not a hundred meters dash. That it's, a, it's an endurance race. That's what Hebrews, sorry, that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 said. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, pardon me. A hundred meters dash is usually run between nine and ten seconds and it's finished. When you are building up for that race, the exercises you do are different from the man who wants to run 10 kilometer race. In fact, you will see those who run what we call the endurance races, they have pace setters. Pace setters will go ahead of you, but they are never meant to finish. That will not be your case in the name of Jesus. We will finish the race in the name of Jesus. But if you try to run an endurance race as a ninth, a nine second race, you will burn out even before you get to 200 meters. Why am I saying that? When you come to church, you find some people, you don't know what races they have set up or signed up for. They are praying. Thank God for their lives. But run your race at your pace. Run your race at your pace. It's a long haul. When I hear people like Pastor Deboye, the bishop who have been in the law for 35, 40 upward years, it's easy to gloss over it. But it's a big deal, Pastor Femi. It's a big deal. Do you imagine how many discouragement they would have met on the way, but they kept at it? Little me. <laughs> I'm also closing on 30 years by God's special grace, but it's not been smooth sailing. Now, if you got to know Christ as a teenager, I suggest to you that for 50, 60 years, you are in the faith. So don't burn out early. What God requires is consistency. When you have attained a certain level spiritually, please stabilize in that. If you are a 30 minute a day prayer warrior, wonderful. Before you decide to go to one hour, Make sure that nothing tampers with that 30 minutes. Don't just do 30 minutes for one hour, for one week and say, ah, I've arrived. I want to go to one hour. Because the moment you move to one hour, you have not mastered 30 minutes. You don't do the one hour, you get discouraged. You don't even do any anymore. That's why it is an endurance race 
Listen to what Moses did. He said, show me your way. When God showed him the way, he said, now I need to see your glory. I need to see your glory. He was never satisfied. So God said something to Moses. And I love it. God said, no man can see my face and leave. I will not, you cannot see my face. I'm going to pass by you. I cause my goodness to pass by you. When I'm passing by your side, I use my hand to cover you. You have no idea how big the hands of God are. is. He <laughs> said, when I pass by you, you will see my backside or back, or back part. But my face you will not see for no man will see me and leave. Moses was never satisfied with whatever he had of God. Paul was never satisfied with whatever he had of God. Refuse to be satisfied. Don't rush it, but keep on a little here, a little there. A little here, a little there. Seek to know God more. When you have been able to pray for one hour, maybe for a year, constantly, ask God, take me to another level. David said in Psalm 23, verse, in fact, Psalm 23, verse 1, 4 says, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I love one translation. It's all that I want. Not that I shall want nothing. Say all that I want because he's my shepherd. If you can get to the point where you can say God is all that I want, you're not talking of a deeper relationship with God. And he said, I think in 27 verse 4, Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing have I desired, only one thing. I just want to know you more. I just want to know you more. Let that be your heart desire. Let that be your song. Let it be your dream. Let it be your food. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You, you, you know, when, when, when you read Moses' prayer, when he says, show me your glory, you could easily gloss over it. But like I said in, in, on Sunday, he, he had seen God in the fire and the fire was not consumed. He had seen t- seven terrible miracles that God did against Pharaoh and his men in Egypt. He has seen the Red Sea parted part ways. What hasn't Moses seen? He had been on the mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights alone. And he says, I still want more. We need to create a thirst. And hunger that is insatiable for God. In the place of prayer, it's not, okay, so let me say this. It is not, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. It is not about making personal requests that we are talking about. It's not about material comfort. It's about show me who you are. Tell me what is pleasing your sight. Is it because, you know, Matthew chapter number 6 from verse 31, it says, all these things do the unbelievers seek or Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. 
It's not about, I need a car. I need, just let all those things fizzle out in his presence. I don't know whether I shared the testimony with you. I'm a friend to a number of the current show of Ogomo show, um, the Orba. Years ago when we were in the universities in the, in the 70s, I had gone home with one of them for a short holiday. And on one day like that, the Kabesi came to his throne from his room, sat on the throne which all the big others sit. And the praise singers, they all had them in the palace. They came. Oh my God. There was nothing they didn't say to that man about his father, about his father's father, how a warrior, great warrior he was, how a conqueror he was. He, you know, at some stage you could see that his head was like three times the size of it. He was just nodding and smiling, like, that's my father. You remind me, that's my father. Oh, my grandfather told me about this other one as well. Oh, he, he said, and he said, and your mommy, ah, good dad for me. What do you want to do? What can I give you today? They didn't ask for anything. They were just, they were just, just relishing in the presence of their own king. I wish Christians would learn something from here. They were pressing guys who didn't have another thing except the salaries that they earned. Even if they asked for it to be multiplied, how much can it be? But they just decided to forget about whatever they needed or they lacked. It was just about the king. For us, it must be about the king of kings, the lord of all lords. Can I hear somebody say an amen? And as you do that, he says, what exactly do you need? Acts 16.25 at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. They first prayed. The prayer wasn't working. And then they sang praises. And the Bible says, suddenly. Set yourself, say suddenly. There was an earthquake. Let's learn to dwell in the presence of God. So, whatever level you are at spiritually, please don't be satisfied with it. You can get deeper and you can get deeper and deeper. I'm going to close here by saying to you that if you look at Exodus 33 verse number, 34 verse number 8, when God spoke to Moses, when God said, I will show mercy, I will show compassion, the Bible said, Moses bowed before the Lord. In other words, as you get deeper in your walk with God, when God shows you mercy, because you see, sometimes we pray with a sense of entitlement. I'm a child of God. It's my right. <laughs> God says, I show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Romans 9, 14, 15. In fact, 13 says, Romans 9, 13 says, it says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated? I think I probably shared something about that here. How can you love a 419 man? He said, I will give grace to whom I please. I will show mercy to whom I will please. So if, when you say you have an attachment spirit, he may, not, he, may not, he, he may not give you anything. The man who you thought did not qualify for it, he decides to give it to him. And so when God reveals himself to you more and more, what you and I need to do is to go down again in worship. 
Moses bowed down before the Lord in worship. We have to have this attitude of worship to our God even as we get deeper and closer. The mother of the exhibited boys, the two boys, sons, went to Jesus and said to him, grant, O God. The first thing the Bible says, they said the mother went to Jesus and worshipped. Jesus said, this is unusual. You want, you are touching soft spot for me. Why are you worshipping me? He said, grant, O God, that these my two sons, one may sit on your left and one on the right. But guess what? He started with the worship. Jesus had to listen. He had to listen. Even though she made what I believe is an nothing spiritually inspired request. Because he wanted one of his, one of our two sons to be sandwiched between God the Father and God the Son. And the other one standing to the right hand of Jesus. Jesus said, I appreciate the worship, I accept the worship, but you've had a hard thing. He said, uh, you cannot drink of the cup. He said, I will drink of it. Okay, even if you drink of it, it is not of me to grant it. What does that say? You need to learn worship. Worship moves the hands of God. He knows what you are going through. Your situation, my situation doesn't change who God is. He has predetermined the things he will do. So when you, when you launder your relationship with him, when you go deeper and deeper, he knows what is right here that's pinching you. And before you ask, he will do it. Let's get on to this. And it's not something you do for a season and you stop. There can be no vacation in the spirit. No holidays in the spirit. Even when you're on holidays, you must not forget to do the things to keep the fire of a relationship with God aflame. May the Lord help us and strengthen us and keep us until his return. Fully aglow with his glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for everyone who is in church tonight as well as those who are watching online. Thank you for this call to wake up from our spiritual slumber, from our spiritual complacency, O God, to get him back on course in our relationship with you. We desire, oh God, like David. We desired, desire like Moses. We desire like Paul to know you more, to please you more, to walk deeper and deeper. Many of us have labored all night. We caught nothing. The secret of success is not in our labor. Is in our walking deeper with you. Father, take us there. Right deep there. In a relationship with you in the name of Jesus. We give you praise and glory and honor and adoration, Father. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church of God said, Amen. Let's give God praise wherever you are. Shout often unto the Lord. God bless you. Amen.